360 degrees. High high, 360 degrees. High high, 306, 306, 360 degrees. High high. All right, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone Territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. This week on Full Circle, we'll get some history on the First Voice Apprenticeship Program on KPFA. It's been here 39 years and is in limbo as recently funding has been cut for our training program. So on tonight's show, we'll hear some history of First Voice by two of the founders, Michael Yoshida and Norman Jayo. We'll also hear the opening of the 50th anniversary ceremonies honoring Wounded Knee 1973 to 2023 and this was just recorded on Monday in South Dakota and we'll check out some stories from past award-winning producers from the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. All that and we'll also be asking for your support tonight for KPFA during the Winter Fun Drive. All that tonight on Full Circle. I am your host, Freewill and Franklin, I'm coming to you from downtown Antioch, and this is Bay Miwok territory. Keep it locked right here to KPFA. Yes, again, welcome to all of you out there driving around, all of you at home. This is the weekly show, Full Circle, produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. My name is Freewillen Franklin. I'm a graduate of the program, and I will be your host tonight. And tonight, I'm here to share with you all the news that this beloved program, the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, First Voice Media, is no longer being funded by KPFA. We have all been hearing the news on the air these past weeks and months, actually, about the financial situation at KPFA and the Pacifica Network. Well, the trickle-down effects of the money seizure by the federal marshals and KPFA and Pacifica itself running deficit budgets for years, things had to change. And one of those changes were that at the end of the year 2022, nine positions have been cut. And two of those positions were the last two positions responsible for organizing the training program and producing this show full circle. And the training program is First Voice. Over these past few weeks since the news was given to us, we have been meeting with graduate apprentices and discussing what will be the future of First Voice Media and the apprenticeship program. The good news is that we will be able to stay on the air and hang on to this hour right here, 7 p.m. on Friday nights. And as we discuss what to do next in our meeting, one thing is certain. 
We want KPFA management to bring back First Voice, the apprenticeship program founded at KPFA. So if you are able to make a donation tonight during the winter fund drive, please do so and leave a short comment about bringing back First Voice. You can make that donation and leave that comment by going to kpfa.org or by calling 1-800-439-5732. And that's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Listen to us. So support our program tonight. It's been here 39 years. And to kick off the show, I want to bring you the voices of two of the founders of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. Uh, the first voice you will hear is Michael Yoshida. He was the chief engineer for KPFA at the time of the founding of First Voice nearly 40 years ago, and he recently has retired. And after Michael Yoshida, you will hear Norman Jayo, who was basically like the grandfather of the program, um, helping to design it along with other folks, uh, Tarabu Betsurai and um, Michael Yoshida, Jim Bennett, a bunch of other folks. And uh, the voices you will hear coming up of Michael Yoshida and Norman Jayo were in, recorded in 2014 for the 30-year celebration of First Voice. Check it out. The original goal of the apprenticeship was to bring women and people of color into the station. I think we've accomplished that 15 years ago where we have had an apprentice that was program director. We've had an apprentice that was department head. We had several apprentices that were department heads. We now have an apprentice as part of engineering and uh, this did not exist 30 years ago. And the way people used to get into KPFA was that uh, they would be taken under the wing of someone that was already here and gradually shown the ropes. It was very much a buddy-buddy system that was pretty much dominated, like I said, by white men. Well, in an effort to try to change this, we uh, began the apprenticeship through the operations production department. And back in those days, uh, the control rooms were always staffed by people. Uh, because we were in an analog age, uh, it took a lot of maintenance. And the maintenance was pretty much being done by the operations department. So... Norman Jayo and Tarabu Betsarai, and Jim Bennett, for that matter, felt that uh, the operations department would be a good place to, to start a program like this where a lot of the producers coming in uh, really weren't able to record themselves uh, other than what they had learned from other people. So we began this formal process of training uh, women and people of color to come into KPFA and basically learn to be radio engineers uh, during the first uh, couple years of the program. And then they were free to go off and pursue their interests at KPFA and the other departments. Uh, but back then, uh, there was what was known as process that a lot of the apprenticeship classes talked about. First off, in order to keep the apprentices from being just thrown into this semi-hostile environment, uh, we decided to have three concurrent classes where the older apprentices would support newer apprentices coming in and, uh, and so forth. And by the time you reached your third year, you were pretty much trained to be able to do 
radio from production to engineering and so forth. That was Michael Yoshida, former KPFA chief engineer and one of the founders and original supporters of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program at KPFA. Now let's hear from another one of our founders and basically the grandfather of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, Norman Gio. And this is Norman speaking at the 30th anniversary back in 2014. This is an amazing time for this gathering. 30 years, hundreds of apprentices, generations of empowered people, and the challenge of the future that's still in play. This whole project started back in the days when women and people of color were trying to find a new way to come into the equity and values that established what we call democracy and freedom and justice for everybody. The only failure we have to understand now must apply to all the people in the earth that have not got even what we've gained in these years. The amazing thing after 30 years of growth of the First Voice Apprenticeship is that we have a perspective that now we can see yesterday different from today and how tomorrow has to give us the path of what is right and true for humanity, everyone. Back in the day when the First Voice Apprenticeship was started, the challenge was not only to learn the skills, but gain the resources to serve our communities by getting their stories out to the world. How to survive doing this was not something that could be really trained. People had to step on that path and learn how to live with it. Brother Turabu, now he should be there with you right now sharing this incredible moment. That's Turabu Betsurai was the trainer, the training director at that time in KPFA. He had trained over a hundred people in workshops over several years. Finally, the demographics were revealed. Only 1% of those people who were trained by Tarabu found their way into the staff at KPFA. Now, that is what started the apprenticeship program. The fact that women and people of color were not getting hired. Volunteering was, is, and will always be very important because we are community people, but KPFA and Pacifica must reach the full range of equity to take the rhetoric beyond the phrase. Turabo and I, along with Isabella Alegria, Andreas Alegria, Don Foster, and many others out in the Fruitvale District, were with the Third World Bureau. We were all part of the Third World Programmers, the movement of people who struggled inside a KPFA. I mention this because all of those people, what they did, how they struggled, and why, made the First Voice Apprenticeship possible. After Turabo presented the failure of KPFA equity for those he had trained, I went to the tech department where I worked. My job was to record for all the programmers in the station. I went to my staff, particularly at first, Michael Yoshida and Jim Bennett, to get their support along with everyone else in the department. I asked them if they would support me in bringing apprentices to do the work in the studio where I was, to do the job with programming people in the station, and to making sure that people learn how to respect them. I didn't ask for permission from management, 
The First Voice Apprenticeship started because it is something we had to do. Group one were made up of people that Trouble had trained but got nowhere inside of KPFA. They came in to give two years to work out the way the training had to take place. Incredible people like Ursulina Burroughs-Gore and Asata Iman. That was the first and very important stage for the first voice because they had to work together in the studio to begin making that service important for everyone in the station to rely upon them. Now, group one moved to group two, to group three, to group four, all the way down the road to hundreds of people, all learning the skills of expression in audio and passing that on to the next generation. There are many other details about those years, and you all are aware of them, and the knowledge of that is the experience that is a driving force of equity and justice for all, not only for KPFA and Pacifica, but for all the people who live in our communities and around the world. What is very important to understand about First Voice is that that is the driving force of expression that holds the truth about what has happened, when it happened, and why. It is the means of sharing what really must be done to make equity possible. But First Voice is tied to equity for all people. Otherwise, it is just using expression to control others. Radio for the sake of radio is not the main point. Expression from people in our communities is really what it's all about. Since the apprenticeship program started and where it is at today, the world of analog production has moved into a new realm. What's going on the internet is reaching millions of people beyond what radio stations can present to a region. Now, I just want to make this other point. Tarabu Betsurai was the first person of color inside of Pacifica to say that we needed to move our media from radio to the visual side of expression. He was talking about TV, but that was not accepted as the proper way by those in charge. Still, years later, when Democracy Now! came into play and was generating a lot of money from the listeners, they got managerial support and they started bringing that level of expression to the visual side, to television and the internet. The reason Trabu was not accepted back then was because people of color were rarely seen to be the ones to have the right answers for those who controlled Pacifica. The fact is, he was right on and ahead of the clock. Talk to him today while he's there. That's really important. I'm making that point because the range of the future for the First Voice Apprenticeship to, is to understand that radio is not for the sake of radio. It is not the full realm of production to make expression viable for the people and to bring about empowerment for those who have been left out, left behind, not getting the equity and justice that belongs to everyone. The range of media, Training should really be considered to move into the new realm of technology and all forms of expression that are reaching the world today. That is like taking it back to the center of the village, but in the modern era. There's much more that I would love to share on this point, and will do so in the near future. But for now, let me simply say that for those who have struggled to make this happen, what you've done is amazing. 
incredibly empowered and so critically important to our communities and the spirit of what democracy is really supposed to be about. We are honored at what you have accomplished. Every group in every generation of the First Voice Apprenticeship has held the ground to trade their development of skills in service to and from their communities as a way of finding their own path of expression. As you step forward now from this day on, bring the range of your consciousness into making this continuity to bring the equity of the resources and not just supporting one person or just a few, but for the whole of what is the vision that has brought about Pacifica to this new state of equity. It is the time for them who manage it to honestly support the equity and what it is to the future generations. With great respect and honor, I pass on warmth and joy for what you've all done. I am deeply moved. One final point. We used to call ourselves people of color, and we still do at times. But we are people of the world, and we must move beyond the range that we started from trying to gain the strength of equity and move all of us into a full empowered range of the spirit of humanity. That's really what we have to do. Remember that when we look at those who are honest and deal with those who are not honest, we see the world of the people. We are not just color. We are the whole of humanity. We all have to be seeing ourselves as the people of the world and not limited to the minority range. So let us move into the bigger range and gain the resources to gain the equity that is rolling into the future. That is the time and that is the spirit of where we're going. Good luck and enjoy the path you're on with strength, safeguarding what is right over what is wrong. Thank you. All right. Welcome back. You are listening to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA and KPFA.org. We are part of the Pacifica Radio Network. I'm Freewell and Franklin. Hello out there to all you driving around or maybe sitting at the house listening on your computer or your headphones. Um, You just heard some history of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, First Voice Media. And those two voices were Norman Jayo, who you just heard. And before that was Michael Yoshida. And those two, along with Jim Bennett and Tarabu Betsrai and some other folks that I just don't know them all, um, helped create First Voice. And that's the apprenticeship program here at KPFA. And as you heard me say in the opening, First Voice is currently in limbo as we are part of the nine positions being cut by KPFA to balance the budget. And KPFA has been doing very well during our fund drives, thanks to you, our listeners. Uh, But we're still running a deficit budget. So if you are able to make any size donation tonight and are a supporter of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program and First Voice Media, and you've liked the stories that you heard on Full Circle, this one-hour program on Friday nights, please make a donation tonight and leave a note in support of First Voice. You can do that by logging into kpfa.org and hitting that Donate tab, 
Or you can call if you'd like to use the phone. The number is 1-800-439-5732. And if you want some help remembering that, you can remember that anytime by remembering 1-800-HEY-KPFA. And has been the case lately, any size donation you make, you get a gift. And tonight you'll receive a link to the Stories for Social Change Winter 2023 audio selection. That includes Erica Huggins, activist, former political prisoner, and leader in the Black Panther Party, interviewed by Kat Brooks about her new book, Sister Comrades, Women of the Black Panther Party. You also get James Baldwin and a speech titled, They Would Not Want to Be Black Here. And this was given at UC Berkeley in 1979. And James Baldwin speaks on the condition of blacks in a white-dominated United States. He argues that the civil rights movement represents only a recent slave revolt with its leadership assassinated, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, etc., also, KPFA and DJ Ricky Vincent's chronicles how the Black Panther Party used funk to spread its revolutionary message in his book, Party Music, the inside story of the Black Panthers band and how black power transformed soul music. And of course, he was interviewed by KPFA's uh, host of Hard Knock Radio, Davey D. And all of that, you get for any size donation. So if you got five bucks to 500 bucks, that's yours. Um, give us a click. Give us a call right now if you can at kpfa.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. And of course, there's many more gifts to choose from. You can find the whole list at the kpfa.org website. Check it out right now and make a donation in support of First Voice. Um, so right now I want to get into our next piece because this is the most timely piece that we will hear tonight. I just recorded this on Monday, February 27th in South Dakota at the site of the liberated town of Wounded Knee. On this Monday, this week marked the 50-year anniversary since American Indian Movement activists liberated the town of Wounded Knee in honor of their ancestors who were murdered in 1890 in the Wounded Knee Massacre by the U.S. military. Of course, at the time, they were also protesting the conditions they were facing living in reservation land in 1973, along with the unsolved murders that were happening in their territories to their people. Check out this audio of the opening ceremonies at the culmination of the Four Directions Walk. It was held in a snowy, muddy hillside at the memorial site to the 1890 massacre of Wounded Knee and the mass grave. Vic Camp, me, now me call a day, Carter Camp, now enough, Michelle Richard. Me talk you today is 50 years since our our fathers and mothers, aunties, uncles, grandmas and grandpas fought here at Wounded Knee in 1973. Today we're still here. Today we're strong because of our relatives who fought here in 73. Today we're proud to be who we are as native people indigenous people of this land. 
I want to say Wopila to all our relatives who traveled long distance to be here with us today. Today's a special day, a strong day. We had a lot of the youth leading us here from all four directions. And our youth today are, are proud. Our youth are strong today because of the sacrifices that our uncles, aunties, our fathers and mothers made here on this very same hill 50 years ago. We'll call upon our Lekshi here to share some words. He was here 50 years ago, standing with all our relatives, fighting, sacrificing, not afraid to give their lives for us to be here today. Hokahe. Uh, first of all, I just want to say welcome to everybody. Uh, those of you that we've been honoring, family, dancing, powwow. We even had an exhibit for the women who have played such a vital role here. So, we recognize them and uh, we hope that you'll be able to see sometime who our heroes are uh, that stayed with us, fed us. They, they ran the hospital. They ran, uh, some of them was even on guard duty with us. One lady said, I didn't come here to cook. I come here to fight, she said. So, so I tell we had to clean the pans ourselves sometimes. But anyway, I wanted to welcome a special guest. And his name is Sammy Kelly. He's from the Irish Republican Army. So when you guys popped off all those rounds, boy, he was just smiling. He liked that. That's what you call a real welcome to a soldier. It's to hear that music of gunfire and that smell of gunpowder. Kind of gives the old soldier a warm heart. So anyway, we welcome him here amongst the, our relatives here, 1890, right behind us. We start by honoring them because uh, they're the reason that we're still alive. There's almost 300 men, women, and children in that grave behind us. Every time we go by here, we're reminded about the United States government, what they did to our people. And so uh, that's the reason why we, we, we resist. That's the reason why we still are Lakotas. We're still whatever tribe that came here to help us, a lot of them are still here. And a lot of tribes uh, sent their best warriors to help us. And uh, we had some of the, some of our brothers and sisters who went to various institutions, boarding school, jail, whatever. They came here because they wanted to show not only support, but have a chance to put themselves on the line, to put their life on the line for our people. Remember, we came here for the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaty. We didn't just come here to raise out. We had to make a statement to tell the world that Indians are still alive. This still our land and the Black Hills are not for sale. So 
right now we got big problems up there with the mining companies. So uh, don't be surprised if Indian people make another stand. Because the only way they understand our people is for us to get together, to tell them in person. You can send all the telegrams, all the letters you want to. But unless you stand against them, they're going to take everything we got. So uh, every now and then we got to let them know we're still here. And uh, it's about that time. So uh, we'd be looking forward to instituting another boycott South Dakota because of the racism, because of the theft of our lands, and because of our women and children that's coming behind us. At least we could say we didn't sell. At least we could say we didn't give up our birthplace as a nation for a few dollars, a used car, and a case of beer. That's not worth it. Those are the words of one of our great uh, tribal leaders said by the name of Enos Poorbear, and also repeated by Mr. Whirlwind Horse. Almost every president we had so far, and we had one the other night was a uh, guest uh, when we first started on, on Friday night. Mr. Starr comes out. So he, he told us he thanked the American Indian Movement. He said he believes in what they stood for, and he was just a little young man when it started here at Wounded Knee 50 years ago. So uh, I want to thank him for coming out to support the effort of our people to remember those like Pedro Bisnet or either Webster Forbear, Tom Forbear, uh, Buddy Lamont, Frank Clearwater. Buddy, we have a radio station named after him up on the hill, Kili. If you look at the road to the Keeley Station, it says Lamont Street, Lamont Hill. Anyway, uh, that's a dedication to him and his family. I was here that day. I was one of the pallbearers. We put him in the ground right over here behind us next to the other heroes of our people. And so I just want to say that much on the behalf of American Indian Movement on the behalf of all the Oglalas that came. Remember all those times, even though we welcomed other tribes, the overwhelming majority was Oglalas who understand what it means to fight for your life, to fight for your people. And we remember Crazy Horse, Sitting Bull, those great leaders that made a path for us last generation. They didn't lay down and tell the BIA, go ahead and take over. They fought them all the way. And I always remember Fool's Crow. When he came in, they let the chiefs in to have a dinner with us to see what was going on. So they thought the chiefs was going to give us advice. So they asked uh, Fool's Crow to say, say a few words. And he said a few words, and then he... He ended uh, his talk with, he didn't say, give up, lay down your arms. He said, be brave, be strong. 
And so then he said, I'll be with you. He said, that's why we came to Wounded Knee is because we won't be alone. We'll be with the spirits of our ancestors. And so people died here for us, and we also passed that spirit of resistance on. So I thank you for this time, and I want to wish all of you a happy Liberation Day. Oh, how opi la Again, metaki opi. Like you heard Uncle say, it's been 50 years since they stood here and fought for our people. In that time, a lot of our relatives who stood here passed on to the spirit world, including my father, Carter Camp, Dennis Banks, Russell Means, all these strong leaders. And now it's time for the seventh generation to stand up and remember the sacrifices that were made before us. All right, welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 KPFA, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. I'm your host tonight, Free Will and Franklin, and those sounds you just heard were recorded this past Monday, February 27th in South Dakota at the site of the 1890 Wounded Knee Massacre, as well as the 1973 Liberation and myself, along with folks from Flashpoints, Miguel Gavilan Molina, Sarah Blanco, and Tony Gonzalez of Across Indian Land, just returned from five days in South Dakota. And every day we were there, we recorded something new. On Friday last week, they celebrated 40 years of their local radio station, Keeley Radio, founded by AIM. And then on Saturday, they held a special day in honor of Warrior Women. So that was Saturday. And Sunday, there was numerous things to do, including a, a powwow and two film screenings. And then Monday, as you just heard, was the culmination of the four-day event. It started in the morning as people walked and gathered in four different directions and marched and met at the Wounded Knee Massacre site. And that audio you just heard was recorded at that gathering and that was only 10 minutes of a 35-minute opening ceremony. You could check out the entire video because I made a video of that on the First Voice Media Facebook. Just log in the Facebook, head over to First Voice Media. Don't forget to like that page while you're there. And you'll see the entire um, ceremony at Wounded Knee as well as our other links to Warrior Women the day of events held in honor of them. This is the type of work we do here at First Voice Media and the Apprenticeship Program. If you can make a donation in support of our program, which is currently in limbo as all funding has been cut by KPFA, please donate now if you can and leave a comment to bring back First Voice. You can do that by heading to our website, kpfa.org. Click on that Donate tab. Or you can call 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Give us a click. Give us a call. And don't forget to remind KPFA management to bring back the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. And again, the good news is that we get to keep our show full circle right now, 7 o'clock on Friday nights, and keep our office space and have access to the station and its equipment while it's open. So there is good news for us out there. 
And again, if you are able to donate to KPFA tonight in support of First Voice, please do that right now at kpfa.org or by calling our donation line, 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Bring back the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. Okay, thank you for all those on the line right now and all those who have called earlier. We're going to move on because we have two more pieces to share for you tonight from past apprentices. And first up is Robin Takayama. And Robin is an award-winning audio producer. She has filed for Day-to-Day, Latino USA, Pacific Time, Making Contact, KALW, and was a segment producer for Crossing East, which is a Peabody award-winning eight-hour documentary series on Asian immigration to the United States. Robin reports on art, culture, music, community development, race and ethnicity, and environmental justice. She lives and works in San Francisco, and of course, she got her start as part of First Voice. Here is her 2005 feature on Lyric, a program in San Francisco for the LGBTQIA community. A lavender house is nestled on a side street of San Francisco's Castro District. This three-story Victorian is the home to Lyric, a community center for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning youth. The downstairs living room buzzes with energy from a queer youth employment workshop. I'm on the third floor waiting to meet an 18-year-old Lyric youth who asks to be called Louie. Someone encouraged him to respond to my flyer recruiting queer male survivors of child sexual abuse for this piece. They thought it might be good for him to talk about his experience. Thirty minutes later, the workshop downstairs wraps up and Louie is a no-show. James Gay is Lyric's clinical case manager. He says it's common for queer men to have difficulties talking about their experience surviving childhood sexual abuse, or CSA. A lot of times in our culture we're brought up as men and and as young men to believe that we're supposed to be self-reliant, that we're not allowed to be victims. And I think one of the things that's, you know, particularly difficult for young queer men in coming forward and talking about sexual abuse is not only that social context, but also um, it can, you know, bring into question their own sexual orientation and identity and how that was developed. We... I think in general have learned to think of intimate violence issues as personal instead of public. Stacy Haynes is the founder of Generation 5. So we'll talk about state violence, we'll talk about community violence, but supposedly the intimate violence is what we shouldn't talk about, don't, don't spread the dirty laundry, you know, that kind of thing. Generation 5's mission is to end the sexual abuse of children in five generations, or 125 years. And we have it mapped out that way because it's a um, pervasive issue. And just like if we look at other issues of oppression, whether it's racism, sexism, those take kind of long-term strategic movements to actually change something so rooted in a social system. One of Generation 5's strategies is to train and support organizers and community leaders to take on CSA within their communities. Mercedes Gibson is a youth activist from a low-income community in East Oakland. This multiracial, self-proclaimed lesbian says she's passionate about working on women's issues. While organizing young female sex workers on the streets of Oakland, Gibson looked for resources on sexual abuse. 
When she discovered Generation 5, she committed to the nine-month training. Beforehand, you know, I was ignorant. I just was like, oh, it's, 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 you know, tragic that it happened. And I had a picture of a specific population it happens to, to rich people, to poor people, only to single mother families. So it just shatters all those beliefs. And you basically, the first part of the training is learning that is being like, forget everything you thought you knew about child sexual abuse. Then it talks about the different aspects. It talks about not only identifying us as a survivor instead of a victim, but working with survivors and working with offenders. And then um, you get into work groups. For Mercedes' work group, she held a special training for volunteers on Lyric's Youth Talk Line, the only peer-run queer youth hotline in the country. She guided call takers on how to support a caller who discloses being sexually abused. But Stacy at Generation 5 says some queer organizations are reluctant to integrate CSA issues into their agenda. It's understandable, you know, in the queer movement if what folks are trying to say is nothing is wrong with us. We should have fundamentally the same rights as people who identify as heterosexual, um, that they want to take anything that's been used to pathologize them and distance themselves. And, you know, on one hand, I get it. Of course, people are like want to get away from anything that seems like it will bring an attack. And again, on the other hand, we kind of let this conjoining of issues continue if we don't say, no, no, we're going to ally, and then we're going to actually take it apart and kind of show all the holes in the argument. One of the stereotypes that people believe about child sexual abuse and sexual orientation is that sexual abuse causes someone to be queer. Again, James Gay. It's really important to remember that There are straight, gay, bisexual, transgender. There's multiple individuals that have been sexually abused that the the child sexual abuse in and of itself didn't cause that. Conversely, James says queer youth tend to believe they are the cause of their abuse. He says queer youth don't have the same opportunities as their straight peers to explore their sexuality through dating or the prom. And so many times they go into environments or um, where they're more likely to be abused. So that can be going into public restrooms or, you know, going to bars under age. Malkia Cyril, a 30-year-old survivor, was just 13 when she came out of the closet. An adult female camp counselor started a sexual relationship with her that Malkia felt was wrong but didn't say anything. As a queer youth, you're not supposed to say you're gay anyway much less say that the relationship that you're in um, feels abusive because by the nature of it being queer, societal standards have already labeled it as wrong. So there's just a very unclear line between what's wrong because the society says it's wrong and what's wrong because it's abusive and violating. Malkia is a working-class Brooklyn native and the daughter of a Black Panther. For the past nine years, she has been organizing for racial and economic justice in the San Francisco Bay Area and co-founded a national media justice network. But until recently, she could critically identify and fight against all kinds of injustice, except for the personal one committed against her. So the first uh, time I really recognized that child sexual abuse was was in my history was actually related to uh, the failure of a relationship. And I think that that happens for a lot of people, that it's often as an adult, um, 
when things begin to fall apart and things aren't working the way you know you think they're supposed to work that um, I began to realize that there were very simple things I didn't seem to know how to do you know. Malkia attributes these difficulties to a lack of queer role models. No one taught her how to be in a relationship or how to constructively confront homophobia. But she says other interpersonal problems stemmed from survival skills she learned from being violated. I believe that um, when children have their right to say no taken from them, they learn to um, accommodate or violate, you know, violate others or violate themselves, you know. And that's the way children learn how to survive, you know, to hide or to dominate. And I learned to do both. And I think that that's really important because I learned to do both because I'm a woman and I'm a butch. So I both had the experience of internalizing patriarchy as a woman and internalizing patriarchy as a man. So it makes it a very complex experience, but um, also one with a lot of insight, I think, that's very useful to our understanding of how violence works and how inequality fosters violent conditions and violent people. Malkia has channeled her aggressive masculinity based on fear to a creative, vibrant masculinity that she hopes will serve the world. And like Stacy with Generation 5, Malkia offers solutions that are coming from someone directly impacted by the problem. One of these contributions is Phoenix Day, a monthly holiday Malkia created for anyone affected by intimate violence. People join together and treat themselves to fun board games and relaxing massages, to talking circles and good food. And in this supportive space, they empower themselves to share their stories and share in their healing. I'm Robin Takayama. All right. Welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. You just heard Robin Takayama, award-winning producer and First Voice graduate, and her story on Lyric, an LGBTQIA plus home and program for youth in the Bay Area. And these are graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. If you can support First Voice at this time, please do so at kpfa.org or by calling our donation line at one 800 Four three nine five seven three two. That's one eight hundred. Hey, KPFA. And thank you again, everyone, for donating tonight and showing your support for this impro- this important media outlet, KPFA, and this important training program, First Voice Media, the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. But let's move on to our final piece tonight, because as we talked about earlier. The Peabody Award-winning documentary series Crossing East had a number of producers from KPFA Radio and from the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. This next edited selection comes from Brangita Giesler and her contribution to Crossing East. Her segment was on Ethnotech, a storytelling organization that tells Asian American stories. This piece was edited for time. There was three or four stories told in this piece, um, but we have left one of the good stories in, and I think it'll give you a good taste of what her piece was like. Check it out right here on Full Circle KPFA.
Yenal, Yenal, Ajuyanare. Once upon a time, Mukashi, Mukashi, Arutokoroni. A long time ago, Noong unang panahon. And far, far away. These are the words that invite you into the magic of stories. Nancy Wong and Robert Kikuchi and Goho have been telling stories for the last 25 years. They are the founders of Ethnotech, Asian American storytelling theater in San Francisco. Ethnotech performs throughout the United States and abroad with several storytelling theater programs. They have seen the powerful impact that storytelling can have. These words, once upon a time, have been heard you know, in some person's life somewhere along the route. And when they, when they hear it, it's like they get this look that's, that's magical. What I like about it is seeing the audience just go through, like casting a spell. And then, of course, with storytelling, it touches heart. It creates a community of listening. And so it's got all the great things about art that, that touch people. Ethnotech's mission is to build cultural bridges that celebrate our humanity, embrace our differences, and create compassionate communities through the performance of Asian and Asian American stories that touch upon our universal truths. Robert says that storytelling is often misunderstood. It's not just for children, but for people young and old. There have been storytelling traditions in all cultures around the world for thousands of years, and some are still very active and very alive today. For adults, there are very sophisticated uh, myths and, and folk tales. Our stories are usually very value-oriented, so it touches their heart, it touches their imagination, and it touches where they are in life right now, even though these stories are ancient. But that's why they've lasted this long, because they are so important. They have something to say and to convey. And stories would often imitate what was going on in the government, but using metaphor instead. And so even though the story might sound like it's about monkeys or about a fool, you know, a trickster, it was actually about the czar or about, you know, your governor or someone like that, or the kink or the president. And now, from Tibet, an ancient story that has lots of Relevancy for now. Indeed. And we call this story Monkey, Monkey Moon. Moon. Once a golden full moon shone upon a beautiful forest with a beautiful pond. The pond was so smooth, so crystal clear, that the water's surface was like a big, bright mirror. Now near this pond stood a towering tree, and that was the home of a band of... Monkeys! Chichachiri! Chichi! And from high in the branches to the pond below, they looked and they saw... <gasps> something aglow! Look down there, a golden moon! I want it! I want it! The monkeys croon! The moon! The moon! They screech with glee! When suddenly a voice said... It's not for you. It's meant for me. Who? It was their monkey chief, their almighty king, who ruled over these monkeys and everything. That golden moon is mine alone, and I command this from my golden throne. I want it now, not later, not soon. Go get it for me. Go fetch that moon. So uh, the monkeys lined up in numerical fashion, hailed their chief with patriotic passion. We'll, we'll fetch, fetch the moon, moon for you, dear chief. chief. If that's what you want, we'll, we'll be your thieves. thieves. 
So one at a time, down a long, thin branch, each single monkey took a chance. Each stretched to fetch that golden disc. Oh, but each failed, though each monkey put his own life at risk. For the tree was quite tall and the pond far below. A difficult task for any monkey, you know. The chief, now anguished and paled, jumped up and commanded, Grab hand to tail! Oh, oh hand, hand to, to tail, chee-chee-chee, they saluted their chief. Oh. Hand to tail it, it shall be. be. So the first one climbed out on the limb, and the second one followed after him. The third and the fourth were right behind, and so on and so forth down the line. Hand to tail, chee-chee-chee, hand to tail, hand to tail it shall be. And when not a single monkey remained, they cheered, Look, we've made a monkey, chee-chee-chee-chain. Now the monkey at the bottom of that monkey chain, with all her might, she stretched and strained. She reached for that moon in the shining pool, but when she failed to reach it, the chief cried, You fool! All of you are fools! You failed all night! Do I have to do it myself to get it done right? Oh, down, down the chain he climbed, as each monkey chattered and chimed. Hand, hand to, to tail, tail, hand to, to tail, tail, the, the chief, chief is coming. coming, the monkeys hailed. Ah, the moon and the water was so golden bright that the king's eyes glowed golden with greedy delight. With the moon in my hands, I'll be the emperor of the night. So, this very fat chap of a chief did reach. He stretched and he strained a magnificent feat. The monkeys cheered their big chief on as he bobbed up and down toward that moon in the pond. When... Suddenly, above them was the tiniest of sounds. Snap! And when the monkeys looked up, the branch went... Crack! Down, 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 monkeys tumbling into the pool. These loyal little monkeys and their majesty the fool. Splash went the king in his royal chain of commands. As a thousand little moons rippled through their dripping hands. The king uttered not a word. His wet head bowed. His dripping crown shining before his damp and crowned. All the other monkeys looked up and howled as a mocking golden moon slipped behind a silver cloud. Now, now it's more than all right to reach for the moon or to climb out on a limb. But to follow a foolish leader is to follow to a foolish End. Chit chat chittery, chee chee, the end. Ethnotech performs Pan Asian and Asian American stories spanning West, Central, South, and Southeast Asia, including Iraq, Afghanistan, India, Nepal, Bhutan, China, Japan, and Korea, Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, and Indonesia. They view Asian American storytelling as an interweaving of the East and West. For Full Circle, this is Ranjita Gisler. All right, welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 KPFA, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. That was a segment from the radio documentary series Crossing East, and that piece was produced by First Voice graduate Renjita Giesler. She was also one of the one of the directors of the apprenticeship program for a short time, and her contribution to Crossing East, along with numerous other producers and scholars, won the Peabody Award. 
And tonight we featured pieces by current and past First Voice graduates. We are hoping that you can support First Voice Media tonight by making a contribution to KPFA. Uh, just head over to kpfa.org and click on that Donate tab. While you're there, you can browse through many of the thank you gifts that you would like to pick up for your donation. Also, you might want to consider becoming a sustaining member. That means giving a certain amount of a donation monthly. I'm a sustaining member right now. I'm set at $10 a month, but I also call in and make donations during shows that I support or when I hear stories that interest me. If you are able to support KPFA and remind them to bring back the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, please do so at kpfa.org or by calling our donation line 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. That about does it for me. And this brings us to the end of our show tonight. Remember, check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org just after the show for pictures, archive shows, and important links and information related to tonight's show. And a big shout out to the Full Circle crew, Miss M, the executive producer, and me, Free Will and Franklin. I have been your host tonight, and I'm also the technical director for the show, Full Circle. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all of you that are on the line now and that donated during our hour tonight. Just remember, while you're out there, to please, please protect your health and also your humanity. And stay tuned, because coming up next is La Onda Bajita. Good night, everyone. <laughs>